0: Look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring Pro Football Talk, The Dan Patrick Show, The Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, a wide-ranging conversation with Troy Aikman, the Fox analyst and Pro Football Hall of Fame quarterback, and also, Brian Gutekunst, the new general manager of the Green Bay Packers. But first, you know a few thoughts coming into the final eight of the playoffs on the favorite to win it all, the New England Patriots. Last week, as many of you know, uh, ESPN's uh, Seth Wickersham wrote a story that, in essence, put a very definitive uh, uh, end date on the relationship between Bill Belichick, the coach, Robert Kraft, the owner, and Tom Brady, the quarterback of the Patriots. Much has been written, said about their relationship, uh, and I have basically two major thoughts about this, one of which I wrote, one of which I didn't. And I want to expand a little bit on something I wrote in my column this week about how you know, I, I think it's absolutely amazing this this triumvirate has lasted 18 years. In fact, it's it's beyond amazing uh, when you think that all of the great uh, coach quarterback combinations, coach quarterback owner combinations in history, none of them have come close to uh, to 18 years, and probably a 19th year in 2018 if you believe Belichick and Kraft. Uh, and and I think the biggest takeaway on this is in every relationship, think of your boss at work. Think of the most important person you deal with every day at work. How many times have you left your office or left uh, your, your place of employment, got in your car and said to nobody, that bleepity bleep so-and-so, I hate him. Uh, I, I got to get out of here or I have to do something. And I just think that for three incredibly strong-willed men, Robert Kraft is an international multi-mega millionaire uh, in the cardboard box business uh, and in other businesses. Uh, He's a hugely successful businessman and has built one of the great franchises in the NFL. Bill Belichick is going to go down in history As either a top three or the top coach ever to coach in the 98 season history of the National Football League. Tom Brady uh, is an incredibly strong-willed person uh, who has overcome the odds uh, of being drafted behind Spurgeon Wynn in 2000. uh, The 199th pick in the draft who had the presence of mind when he walked in to say to Robert Kraft, Mr. Kraft, I'm going to be your starting quarterback. And so, you know, you've got these very, these three very strong-willed people. I don't know exactly what happened. I don't think, uh, and I'm not disparaging anything that was reported by Seth Wickersham, but I don't know what happened. It's his story. But I would be shocked in the new England Patriots, locker room, coaching office, ownership wing. I'd be shocked if there had not been some crises and some huge issues and problems over the years. And you know what? They got up the next day and they did their job and life went on. And three very strong-willed people lasted 18 years. And I believe it'll be a 19th next year. So, I think if if everybody is sort of looking to kind of knock this organization, this team, and say, "Well, it's over," uh, I would have three words for you: not so fast. Um, The other point about this that that I believe is a good lesson for everybody who works in a high profile business is that you know, especially in football and sports in general, that. This isn't like the good old days in sports where everything stayed behind closed doors. It's not like the good old days when you could basically run the organization, run your business any way you want. It's not like that anymore. This is a public, public, public business. And even the stuff that you want to keep behind closed doors, and again, I'm not— I'm not saying Wickersham is right. I'm not saying Kraft is right. I'm not saying anything. I'm just simply saying that this is the type of scrutiny that you're going to have to be under when you uh, own an NFL team, when you coach an NFL team, and when you play quarterback for an NFL team. And in my opinion, the New England Patriots have had basically, I think, an excellent reaction to it. I mean, Bill Belichick just basically shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't care. I didn't read it. Whatever, you guys write what you want. Uh, Brady didn't talk about a craft, just basically said it didn't happen, you know, and all this. And you know what? I'm sure, I'm sure that inside the walls there's some angst, some anger, and everything. But to think that the New England Patriots are going to be detoured by this. Uh, when they play their playoff game against the Tennessee Titans on Saturday night and whatever they play the rest of this month, you know, for the next four weeks, I I think is silly. Um, This is one organization that doesn't get spooked. And it's one team that doesn't really, uh, uh, doesn't really get derailed by what happens in the outside world. That's one of the reasons why in the last 18 years, they've won 15 division titles, seven conference championships and five super bowls and by the way they've won 12 or more seven years in a row in the regular season think about that for a second their worst record in the last seven years has been 12 and 4 and that's that's just that's absurd it's it's just absurd anyway so um, i want to get on to the podcast but i just wanted to leave you with with the point that life goes on Uh, Teams take broadsides sometimes, and the best ones are able to shrug their shoulders and say, hey, write what you want to write, say what you want to say. We're going to show up tomorrow and go to work. Now my conversation with Troy Aikman. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. I'm joined by Troy Aikman. Uh, Troy, uh, we just were talking a little bit before we got going about – the game on Monday night, and I missed it. I was asleep. I mean, it was a bad night to go to bed. Bad night to go to bed early. <laughs> but, but I wanted to know. I'm, I'm really, really curious. I had two takeaways after I watched the highlights today. What stones by Nick Saban to take his quarterback right. out, who's whatever twenty five and two or something like that, and put in a kid who basically has never played, who's a true freshman? What'd you think of that? Yeah.
1: <sighs> I agree with you, Peter. I mean, I I think that you know, there's there's it, when you start looking at the the coaches like Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, and they do things at times that I think those in football would say, yeah, well, you know, who wouldn't have done that when it works, right? But the reality is nobody would have done that. It's like when Bill Belichick went for it on fourth down against Peyton Manning in a big game when he was backed up on his own end of the field, you know, yeah. because he knew yeah. that if they didn't get the first down, they were going to lose anyway. And then you look at last night's game with Nick Saban. Nobody does that. And so I came away, regardless of the outcome, I mean, the outcome only makes it that much more impressive but even when i was watching the game just thinking gosh i mean this guy to make that kind of move in this moment with this much at stake to a kid who hasn't played is really remarkable and then to have the game end the way that it did was uh you know it just adds to the lore of nick saban which is obviously uh, as good as any coach in college that i've ever seen
0: have have you uh, do you know saban at all
1: I've met him. I don't know him very well, no. Yeah.
0: Um, I always wonder. I always think back. And I always wonder what happens if the Miami doctors pass Drew Brees on the physical right. after he has the shoulder surgery. And instead of going to New Orleans, he goes to Miami. And that's right. Drew Brees is Nick Saban's quarterback. I really wonder. Now, you know, maybe. I do too. Maybe he and his wife wouldn't have loved the pro life but after two years he leaves but what do you think would have happened if breeze went
1: to miami well i think it's a good and i think it's i think it's something that that history won't remember what they'll remember is this phenomenal college coach you know maybe the best ever and he tried to make it a go in the pros and it didn't work out and then look at what he was able to accomplish when he went back to college and I agree with you. I was just having this conversation last night uh, before the game. That you know, I sent out a tweet yesterday that that said something to the effect that you know, Bill Belichick and and Nick Saban, when when history's told years from now, we're going to be talking about these guys. We and we we need to realize that that we're we're witnessing two of the all time greats and. And I, you know how Twitter goes, I got a bunch of responses, and some people took offense to the Nick Saban part of it because they feel that, well, he failed at the professional level. And it's my understanding, Peter, like what you just asked, is that he wanted Drew Brees, and, yeah. and yet the medical wouldn't pass him so that they could sign him and he could be their quarterback, and that was very frustrating for him, that he wasn't able to get a guy that he wanted, whereas in college you can certainly recruit, but... I, I kind of wonder the same thing, and and my guess is, quite honestly, that you know he would have certainly stayed longer than he did, and who knows, he might still be in the pros. I, I don't know that Drew Brees would have gone on and had the career that he's had, you know, working right. with Sean Payton. But but I do think that Nick Saban would have enjoyed more success. He would have stayed longer, and who knows, maybe he'd still be at the professional level.
0: What would be amazing if you think about it? Let's say he stayed for. 10 years I mean what kind of impact would that have had on the Patriots I mean I could see Saban and Belichick twice a year battling it out who knows how each legacy would be affected but it would have been so much fun that would have been like you know Noel versus Madden you know in the (laughs) 70s or something you know
1: well, he would you know, Belichick would have then and, and there's as we know, there's assistants that have come off of his staff that have gone elsewhere and they, they haven't had the impact, but but they haven't gone on and done what Nick Saban's done in college either. So, you know, I think it's a it's a good comparison. Uh, I, I think that what's interesting to me is, Peter, when you look at the NFL, we've been talking about parity for the last ten, fifteen years or whatever it's been, and that's what the NFL wanted. And I always thought there was parity and, and that it's hard to win for these teams, and very few consistently do it. It's not just New England that's doing it. Seattle has done it. Green Bay's done it. Uh, Philadelphia had a stretch there, and they're good now. But I, I think that when you're Bill Belichick and you have things in place and the way you methodically go about your business or the way you evaluate players, I, I don't think in Bill Belichick's mind it, there is parity. I think he's got a decisive advantage over the other teams in this league because of the way they approach the game, the way they coach the game, his philosophies, his beliefs. And maybe for Bill Belichick, uh, the game's never been easier to win. Uh, I, I would argue that, of course, he's got Tom Brady, and I understand that. But I think he would also agree, we've had this conversation, that winning today, for him... Uh, and if you do it right, it should be for other teams, is is easier today than what it was when he was the head coach at Cleveland, um, because you can get a decisive advantage with free agency if you know what you're looking for in players and how to utilize those, those guys once you get them.
0: So you don't think that it was necessarily easier pre-free agency? You think it's uh, easy is the wrong word, but you think Belichick has a bigger advantage because he can take sort of second-tier free agents, the Johnson Batamosis of the world, and take those guys and pay them not very much, relatively speaking, and use them as valuable pieces, say on his defense.
1: Well, I think I, I think the part of it is that I think there's a there's a lot of parts to this, but I just think that he. He doesn't get locked into just saying this is what we do. This, you know, and how many times do you talk to coaches and say, "Hey, we're not worried about the opponent. We're going to do what we do," and that's not Bill Belichick, you know. And and when I go into these meetings with teams and they say, "Hey, we're going to we're going to stop the run," it all starts with stopping the run. I've heard that, from, you know, from the time I first took a snap from center. And you know there was a time when you 're playing the greatest show on turf in the in the St Louis Rams, you can stop the run all you want you 're going to lose by forty you know and that's <laughs> when they went into that Super Bowl when New England did when they were heavy underdogs they weren 't worried about the run they were worried about you know Marshall Falk in the passing game and getting after Kurt Warner and of course that was when they won their first Super Bowl. But I think that you know Bill comes at it a, he comes at it much differently than than other coaches and this year, for instance, they got off to the tough start. They started the year off 2-2, two and two, giving up a ton of big yards. And I made the comment to him in the production meeting. I said, Bill, I think you've got a lot of really good players on defense. And my guess is is that by the end of the season, you're not going to be a top defense because you've given up way too many yards in the first month of the season. You'll never overcome that. But I bet that by the end of the season, if you only looked at the last month or the last half of the season, I bet this will be a top 15 defense. It probably higher, probably top 10. And he looked at me like I was crazy. They'd just given up 500 yards or something the week before. Yeah. And then you look at them, and they are. They're not giving up big plays. They've given up the fewest big plays in the last half of the season than anybody in football. And and so he says, hey, we use the first month of the season. It's an extension of training camp because we're not able to hit the way that we want to. And they just they just don't get too flustered in the way that they go about their business. And I do think that the way they the way they evaluate players, the way they they know they can take a guy and know exactly what he does well, put him in that position and let him do it and they change the game plan as you know Peter, you've been covering them each and every week whether it's offensively or defensively, and nobody does that. And they try, some try because everybody wants to copy the way they do things in New England, but it's just very few have the wherewithal uh, to make it work the way that that he does, and so I think it gives him a decisive advantage uh, each and every year, and and we've certainly seen that over the last seventeen, eighteen years.
0: I I always say this about Belichick and Josh McDaniels, you know, I, I honestly feel like every game plan there is a snowflake. I have no idea what they're going right. to do any week. I just I just don't know, and they don't care. And they're lucky that they don't have any stat guys on their team. I mean, Tom Brady doesn't care. I mean, but, uh, you know, he obviously... Well, Tom,
1: the, Tom's been amazing. And, you know, I, there's not... And and the reports that came out, whatever magazine it was, that, that had the big story, uh, hey, I, I'm sure, I know the Patriots came out and they disputed the, the story, and that you would expect. And I'm not saying that the story was accurate, but hey, we've all been in businesses for an extended period of time to where, yeah, at some point, there's a little tension, and there's nothing wrong with that. I didn't see anything in that article that I read and said, wow, this is alarming. I can't believe this. It's it's very natural. And, and I'm, if anything, I'm surprised that maybe it's taken this long. But I think they've all done a good job of just, especially Tom, I I think for a guy who's accomplished what he has, and and he's the youngest of the three, and he's supposed to, as the player, have the least amount of say within the organization as it relates to the owner, the head coach, and the quarterback. Uh, He's taken less money at times when his contract has come up in order to be able to keep other guys. Uh, You know, He's a remarkable guy, uh, aside from how talented he is, as a player, and, and I've asked the question often, Peter, you know, who's benefited more? Has Tom benefited more by having Bill Belichick as his only head coach and his head coach all these years, or has Bill Belichick benefited more by having Tom Brady as his quarterback? And, and quite honestly, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, because I, I, I do know from experience <laughs> that that me, as a quarterback, when I had Jimmy Johnson, I was a hell of a lot better quarterback, and we were a better team, and I reaped more benefits because he was our our head coach. And so there's no question that Tom has benefited by having the brilliance of Bill Belichick as his head coach. And, and Bill's benefited by having the greatness of Tom Brady as well. But it is it has been fun to watch. And it, one of these days it's going to end. And uh, I'm not looking forward to that day.
0: Hey, look, I, I wrote this the other day that, uh, you know, there's never been an owner-coach-quarterback combination uh, that's lasted this long and had this much success. That's right. I always thought of the Forty ers with, uh, you know, DeBartolo, Walsh, Montana as the gold standard for the sort of the combo platter, and they that that lasted ten years. And like you think about it, wow, it only lasted ten years, but that lasted ten years. This has lasted eighteen years. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. It's absolutely it's unbelievable. unbelievable. And,
1: and and but but uh, and then to take it a step further. W- w- wouldn't you, Peter? Be and I do know this: that Bill Belichick thought the world of Jimmy Garoppolo. Yes, he did. And no question. I I I don't think that he he wanted to let Garoppolo go. I Why would you? I mean, if you're if you're a lifer like Belichick is, you want to have a succession plan. You got to have yeah. somebody who can step in there and look, win games for I, you. I, I
0: continue. Look, I'm just saying this, Troy. Someday. Uh, and that ESPN story chipped away at it, but someday we're going to find out the truth. I don't know when it is. That's right. Someday we're going to yeah. find out the truth. It's like, you know, I, I compare it to kind of, I mean, I feel bad for you. You only had five years of Jimmy, Jerry, Troy. I mean, imagine if that lasted 13 years, what would have happened? I mean, yeah. you probably well, have thought the, about that a the, few times over the well, years. Well, that's,
1: the, that's <laughs> the, big, the big what if, and, and uh, my my take on it, uh, like you said, the the truth will come out uh, and then it'll get skewed, much like the Jimmy Jerry situation. <laughs> Everybody will try to you know make sure that they're the ones that are right in history, but my take is that Bill did not want to get rid of Garoppolo, that he wanted to keep him, find a way to keep him next year and, you know, Tom's got another year or two left. I mean, I can't imagine. He's not going to play until he's 50. And, uh, you know, but what would that have looked like had Brady... Eventually retire, and you put Garoppolo in. Uh, I think I think there's a lot of people that would be curious as to as to how successful the Patriots. I'll tell you what it would have looked
0: like. It could have looked like Favre handing off to Aaron Rodgers. That's what well, it I agree. Like.
1: I, my guess is based on what we've seen, whether it's last year during those four games that Brady was suspended, and and what Garoppolo was able to do, and how they were at what they go three and one three and in those one, four yeah. games. Yeah. And then uh, the year that Matt Castle when Brady got hurt week 1 they go 11 and 5. I mean, it, it, not taking anything away from Brady, but Bill Belichick's going to win. I mean, it's yeah. that simple, but yeah. and and according to the reports this week, Peter, uh you know, wouldn't it be kind of fascinating to see if Bill went somewhere else? If he went to the New York Giants and and what he could do there? I you know, I I think that'd be fun to follow as well, although it doesn't appear that's going to be happening.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I had a good talk with uh, Robert Kraft on Friday night late, and he said, absolutely, Belichick's coaching this year. And w- we talked a little bit just on background, and and to say that he poo-pooed the idea of Belichick being, quote, traded, end quote, uh, I mean... He, he's not trading Bill Belichick. I mean, I mean, yeah. who knows? Maybe, maybe circumstances are going to change. But I'll just tell you this: he's not trading Bill Belichick based on his tone of voice when I raised that yeah. issue with him.
1: Uh, well, and, and I and and he wasn't going to to let Tom Brady go play somewhere else either. Right. And 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 I understand that. I mean, as an owner, I, I know his affection for Tom, and and Tom's done a lot. And. You know, so I do think there's a human element to that, and I I understand it. I understand it completely, but uh, I I think that Mr. Kraft, what he he has said to me in the past is that he saw what happened in Dallas with Jimmy and Jerry, and and egos get in the way, and and sometimes you just got to keep that in check and, and appreciate the times that are good. And, and fortunately for Bob Kraft and, and the Patriots, times have been good for a long, long time. And, and I, I wouldn't want to see Bill Belichick go anywhere else either.
0: I want to ask you, as somebody who gets to peek behind the curtain of the Patriots, of every team, actually, and you go into the production meetings, you watch some practice, you've seen them now in your new role, not new role, in your role doing TV for years now. So what do you think makes the Patriots different?
1: Well, you certainly feel it as soon as you walk in. And I don't know if it's because of the aura of their success or if 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 it's just the way that they do things that allow them to have their success. When... When I would walk into the Eagles facility and watch them practice when Andy Reid was there and they were on their run in the NFC and, and going to the playoffs each year and playing in championship games, and you, it felt different than it did it, it, with other teams. New England takes that to an entirely different level. It's, it's very businesslike. Um, there's, I think everybody comes to work with a purpose. They understand that they're, they're there to get a job done and you feel that. You feel a sense of urgency. You feel uh, you feel a little sense of uneasiness, uh, if you will, with the players and, and when they communicate with you and they seem a little guarded, like they don't want to say the wrong thing. And I, I think Bill does a really good job of hammering a message and making sure the players understand how they're going to handle the questions for that week and what they're allowed to say. I mean, we've seen Rob Gronkowski, you know, he's talked about it a little bit when he's wanted to talk about some things, and he says, oh, I'll get in trouble. I, I can't. And I, when I, when people ask me, hey, what are you looking for in a head coach if you were in a position to hire a guy? I, I, the first thing I always say is I got to have a guy who can stand in front of 53 guys and command the room in difficult times. And Bill Belichick certainly is capable of doing that, and he has done that. And if you look at the history of any sport, uh, just sports in general, on who are the great coaches who have had enormous success, if you listed the guys you think are the all-time great coaches, there's always a few outliers, but not many of those guys are what you would call players' coaches. you know. And they're pretty tough, demanding, disciplined guys. And, and so I believe in my heart that to be successful – Uh, In sports, I do believe that that you've got to create an environment that makes people accountable. And nobody does that better than Bill Belichick.
0: This is the MMQB podcast. There's an amazing free browser extension called Honey that millions and millions of people use every day to save money. Honey is the world's most popular money-saving browser add-on. It works on Chrome, Firefox, Safari, all the major browsers. And it's always free. It only takes two clicks to add Honey to your browser. Then it starts working in the background right away. While you shop, Honey scans and tests millions of coupon codes all over the internet to find you the biggest discount on everything you buy online. But here's the best part of all. Whenever you're ready to check out, Honey automatically applies the best coupon to your cart. That means you'll always get the biggest discount to get the best price possible without even having to do anything. I mean, where has this been for all my life? I want honey. Give me honey. Anyway, this means you'll get the biggest discount of all to get the best price of all without even having to do anything. Almost 10 million people use honey every day to save millions and millions of dollars. So why not you? If it sounds too good to be true, Time Magazine agrees. That's why they called Honey basically free money. There's no reason not to add Honey to your browser. It's free. It'll save you cash on everything you are going to buy anyway. If you're not using Honey when you shop, you're missing out on free money. Add Honey to your browser for free right now at joinhoney.com slash King one more time go to joinhoney.com/king and now more with Troy Aikman with Troy Aikman on the MMQB podcast with Peter King I want to go back and ask one more question about the college football game that we saw because I it really really interests me 14 months ago the two quarterbacks in that game in the second half down the stretch of the national championship game were both high school football quarterbacks. And now just 14 months later, they are on the biggest stage, and, and I guarantee you if they were both in the draft, people would really be interested in them, you know, if they could, if they could come out this early. So I just want to ask you, why, and, and you're seeing guys play competently to really, really good, both as true freshmen and as very young quarterbacks in college football. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, I, I will first say that I know that it's really difficult to do because I played as a true freshman. Uh, my first started at Oklahoma, I was 17 years old and uh, played in Lawrence, Kansas, and I got thumped pretty good. We were number two in the country, and I played terrible. Um, and so I know that it's it's not an easy transition. Uh, at least it wasn't for me coming from a small high school. But I, I believe the reason that we're seeing – you know, Josh Rosen did it at UCLA. Comes in as a true freshman and plays really well. Like you said, these these kids and what and then even going from college to playing as rookies in the NFL, we're seeing uh, success that we've just simply not seen that uh, you know prior to fifteen years ago, ten years ago. And and I, what I believe, Peter, is that these kids are getting a lot more reps. I always equate it to this, that my daughters, uh, who are now in high school, they, they play soccer, and when they were young, they'd play outdoor soccer, and then the winter, they'd go and play this indoor soccer. And indoor soccer was really great for their skills because they got a lot more touches on the ball on the indoor game. And then it would transition into the outdoor game, and they'd be much better. And these, college, these, these high school kids, they're, they're, they're getting a lot more reps in these seven-on-seven leagues. The college quarterbacks are doing the same thing. They get far more reps during the off season and in their preparation. And then even when they get into the season, it's become such a passing game at all levels that they're getting more throws. And so I bet that... You know, these kids, when they're going into college or the college kids going into pros, there's no telling how many more throws and looks they got to see throwing to a receiver, looking at a defense, than, than I did when, when I was coming out of high school or when I was coming out of college. And, and they just seem to be athletes now that they're not scared of anything. I mean, they're just pretty brash, confident guys that they don't – there's so many guys before them that have had some success that there's no longer this thing that, oh, well, you don't play as a true freshman at that position. You can't have success. That's not the way it's done. They all expect to come in and play as true freshmen and have great success. And they all expect to leave after their third year and go play in the NFL and then start as rookies. And it's been fun to watch some of the success and the maturation from these young quarterbacks.
0: I remember asking Andy Dalton this question a few years ago and because I said to him, hey, you know, like, Ten years ago, when Carson Palmer walked off the USC campus and came to the Bengals, the Bengals said, "He's having a redshirt year. You know, we're not playing him his rookie year." And and Dalton kind of interrupted me and he said, "Well, he said I can, I I I'm pretty sure that even though Carson Palmer probably did a lot of stuff in the off season, he said I I've been I've been playing football like every week since ninth grade." All year, you know, I go in these seven on seven leagues and I'm playing with great receivers. I'm playing with guys who are going to go play in the NFL. Yeah. And so and, you know, and he said, when you're in Texas, you just it's just football, football, football. And he goes, I just think that guys who play quarterback today have a lot bigger advantage, not just because maybe they go to this passing camp in the offseason or something like that, but they're actually playing competitively. Through the off season, and he said, "I think that's a huge difference."
1: I agree. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's a, the, the, it's so so many facets of of the training for the athletes is is far different than it was. You know, I, I can't believe I'm been retired seventeen years, but in the in the past fifteen twenty years, it, you know, it's all changed. Uh, and in addition to that, the amount of reps, like like what Andy was saying. Uh, has, has changed dramatically in, in their preparation. And, and the other part of it, too, is this, as far as going from college to pro, is there was a time when the colleges were all looking at the NFL and they were trying to do what the NFL was doing. They'd look at schemes, they'd right. look at offensive formations. Now, you know, as you know, the, the pros, they're all looking at the colleges and, and they're mimicking what they're seeing at the collegiate level and that's why now we're seeing, you know, you never would have thought of running a quarterback. I don't care if the guy could run in college or not. I mean, that was just not a recipe for success. It was instead, uh, you know, a, a, a recipe for disaster because you're going to lose your quarterback. And, and now those days are over. I mean, you don't hear people saying, oh, you can't run a quarterback like that. Um, it just happens, and you hope the guy protects himself. But uh, we've seen a, we've seen a big shift in the way a lot of things are being done.
0: Do you ever wish you played longer,
1: uh, yeah, yeah, I wish I played longer i I, I could have played longer, Peter, and uh, you know it wasn't it wasn 't because of concussions, as so many people think and and it, it, if if any injury caused me to leave the game, it was my back. I was having issues throughout my last season and having to take injections to try to get on the field and uh That was as much a problem as anything, but the concussions were not and I almost uh, I had had thoughts that I was going to go sign with San Diego North Turner was the offensive coordinator there at the time and and so when I got released by Dallas, I expected to go sign with the pot, or with the uh, chargers. And I got a call from Norv uh, the next morning. He says they just signed Doug Flutie uh, because John Butler was the GM in San Diego. And in Buffalo, if you remember, they were either going to take Doug Flutie or they're going to take Rob Johnson. And they took whoever they released. And so they signed Doug Flutie and then made the decision clear for me. And I I did give some consideration to coming out of retirement a couple years later. I'm glad I didn't. But yeah, I think uh I thought 12 years was a nice number, but the you know, now they're, they're, you know, they're playing 17, 18, 20 years, I think. Jeez, I mean, I, I just like had a little coffee break in the NFL. I wasn't there long at all. <laughs> That's pretty good.
0: I ne how did I never know that San Diego story? That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it wasn't uh it it, it wasn't thrown out there much and and uh but yeah, I would have uh what happened is is that I think too that that team was not as close as people thought. Right. Uh, it was a struggle, certainly for Doug. and So I look back on that situation, and then I also almost came out and played for the Dolphins a couple of years later when Wanstead was the head coach and Norv was the offensive coordinator Coordinator there. They thought they were a quarterback away, and, and they wound up, I think, going 6-10 and 10 that following season. So you know, it's uh, it's the old Garth Brooks song. You know, sometimes uh, thank God for unanswered prayers, and and uh, <laughs> those were two situations that I'm glad that I didn't I didn't get signed because um, it didn't work out for either of those those guys the way they thought it might.
0: Um, finishing up with Troy Aikman, so um, I, I wonder now when you look at the way the game is played, and you see the incredible concern about concussions. We just saw what happened with Cam Newton the other day that, uh, you know, we're not really sure what exactly happened when he went to his knee, uh, you know, in the Superdome. But but in a larger sense, in a larger sense, is this, in your mind, good for the game or are people being a little bit overcautious and it, it's the old, uh, hey, it's a tough game, and if you don't like it, don't play it.
1: Well, it's a good question. And so my thoughts on it are, are this, Peter, that it, it, we all understand why the league has had to take the position that they've taken uh, with regards to head injuries and how it impacts then the future of our game. Uh, I I do think that good steps have been taken to try to protect the players as best as possible. But every time there's a concussion, then there seems to, you know, they just added more procedures this year, uh, a few weeks ago, as to how those things will be handled in game. But it is a violent game. And as long as players are wearing helmets, there are going to be concussions. It's just a part of it. And although I'm all for making the game safer, I, I think that as we draw more attention to what procedures are being put in place to make the game safer, it really is more of a reminder to everybody that the game's not safe. And so, I, I, I'm not sure exactly how the league should handle it, but we draw a lot. Like Cam Newton, for instance. I mean, there was a time years ago that, okay, he got poked in the eye. If that's what he says, he's down. No, right, no big deal. But but now with every hit that is to the head. All right well, what are they doing on the sidelines? Is he going through the concussion protocol? Is there a neurologist watching him uh you know what's his status going forward and you know there's a lot of discussion about it and it's a reminder to the parents out there and the and mostly the moms to these teen ten year old uh the moms of ten year old boys that the game's not safe and uh kids are going to play football there's there's I believe there always will be football but Uh, I also know that that I have a lot of friends who are parents of young kids and and they're not letting their kids play football, you know. So uh, what it looks like and and what kids exactly is the sport attracting as we move forward, I I think that's going to be the real question. And and what's the NFL game like? And, you know, TV ratings going down the way that they have, there's a number of reasons for that. But, um, uh, you know, I think the the head injuries and uh, the safety of the game I've got to believe at some level, plays into some of, the, uh, some of the declined ratings also.
0: Troy Aikman, you've been very gracious with your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the games this weekend and the rest of the year, and we will be in touch. Sounds great. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. State Farm knows that for football fans, your car and home are more than just stuff. There's some of your most valuable possessions, whether it's the truck that gets you to every tailgate or the place where you watch your favorite team with your favorite people. But life can be a real tough opponent. So when it comes to insuring your car or home, you need a strong defense, like State Farm, because they know it's more than just a car or a house. So why not give it the protection it deserves? It's just one more way they're here to help life go right. Talk to a State Farm agent today. And now my conversation with the new general manager of the Green Bay Packers. And Let's hope I pronounce his name right. Brian Gutekunst. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. I'm joined now by the new general manager of the Green Bay Packers, Brian Gutekunst. And Brian, first of all, you have to pronounce your last name because I'm sure I screwed it up.
2: <laughs> no, it was pretty good. It's uh, it's Gudikanst. Gudikanst. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a G- German name. Uh, means good art in German. And uh, I think there's people in my family pronounce it different, so don't worry about it.
0: <laughs> well, you know, Brian, you're you're. I assume you're in Lambeau Field today in the Packer offices. Am I right? You are. Yeah. So. As a football lifer, you know, you're the son of a coach, your dad. Mm-hmm. I think you are about 12 years old when your dad took over. Uh, John Gutekunst as the um, head coach of the University of Minnesota. And so you you know this life. Uh, you got hired by Ron Wolfe as a scout with the Packers. And mm-hmm. I just I, I want to ask you, first of all, what does it feel like for you to be to be sitting in that chair to be the general manager of vince lombardi's team
2: yeah it's a really cool moment uh, uh not only with my family but with uh, a bunch of the you know the scouts and, and guys that work here um a lot of energy really excited um but it is it's uh, i'm sure there's going to be more moments you know when i sit back after we get through some of this rush um and uh it's just kind of unbelievable but it's uh, like you said i've 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 been around football since the day I was born, and and this is pretty normal for me. Um, winning and losing has always been a part of of uh, my life, so um, you know but at the same time, this is such a special place, and uh, it, it is a little surreal at times
0: you know i I, I want to start off by if I can by saying by by asking you, how did you fall in love with football? Was it just natural? Because your dad was a coach, and this was your life,
2: yeah, I think so. you know I grew up with two brothers in a very competitive little household, and you know when you're running around practice fields and uh, you know as a, as a as a kid and all your idols are the players that are, are running around on the field that your dad's coaching, I think it's just it's kind of one of those things you just fall in love with competition in general, uh, no matter what sport you're playing and uh, you know I think as i as I got older and stuff, and you really uh, realize the uh, the value of the game and how different it is in other sports, and how majority of the guys on the field never touch the ball, and it's such a, a team-first type sport. I think um, it just kind of gets a hold of you, and you know, it's just kind of the fabric of who you are.
0: And you were um, you were still fairly young, I think. Uh, it's almost twenty years ago, right? You got hired by Ron Wolf to be a scout, so you would have been what about twenty-five years old then.
2: Yeah, so I, I interned in 1997. Uh, I think I was about uh, 23, 24 at the time. Spent a year in Kansas City and then came back at 25. So um, yeah, I've was. You know, i been here a long time and uh, I've got to see it from a, a bunch of different angles. But the best part about it is we've kind of had the same uh, process from a scouting perspective for the entire time. And then you've seen guys go on to other places and implement that, you know, in, in different places and see how them have success there. So it's a uh, it's been a great path. Uh, the experiences I've had and the people that I've been around is just it's been a blessing the whole way.
0: What would you say you took from your time working under Ron Wolfe?
2: His decisiveness, you know, um, his work ethic, I think those were the things that uh, really stood out. I got you know about two and a half three years with Ron directly and uh, watching him um, go through his process and just always knowing what he wanted. Um, and in, and being able to get to that decision. Um, you know, and I think I was indirectly, uh, you know, kind of mentored you know, by him through so many others, John Schneider, John Dorsey, Reggie McKenzie, Scott McLuhan, and, of course, Ted Thompson. Um, those guys have ta- had taken so much from Ron. They've spent so much time with him and passed those things down to, to some of us uh, who kind of came in at the end of Ron's career, and, and and it still shows here today. I mean, there's so many young scouts who – Never got to work with Ron, but they, their beliefs have been kind of shaped by guys who have. And so that's, it's kind of been one of those things that's been passed down and it will continue to be.
0: When you say decisiveness, describe why that's important.
2: Well, the, you know, and, and specifically in the scouting part of it, but I think in, in all roles that a general manager sits in, it's a decision-making chair. And I think, you know, it's, um, there's always you know a bunch of ways to skin a cat, but uh, at the same time, somebody has to make the decision. Um, you get a room full of scouts, you're going to get a room full of opinions on a player, but somebody's got to make the decision, you know, where he's going to go on the board or if if you're going to sign him. And I think that was the thing that being around him and Ted as well was just that, um, you know, watch them to go through their process and their work ethic and then, you know, just never be afraid of the moment.
0: You know, I've been fortunate enough a few times on draft days uh, to be in draft rooms and to watch the process happen. And I don't know, this is maybe, 12 or 13 years ago um, I was with the Dallas Cowboys in the days before the draft where they mm-hmm. set their board their final board and and there was this feeling there still is this feeling that Jerry Jones makes all these decisions and I tried to tell everybody that Jerry Jones listens to about 15 people mm-hmm. and I'll never right. forget that that week that I was there <clears throat> where um, you know where I, I'm dead serious there would be, Two hours of conversation in that room where they're arguing about, um, I think it was Quentin Jammer, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> sure. They were arguing about Quentin Jammer. And it wasn't, I don't mean arguing. What I mean is that they were having, you know, discussions about where to put him and should he be the number one corner and everything like that. And I'm dead serious. I, I bet it was 90 minutes where Jerry Jones sure. just sat there <laughs> and listened to everybody. So you know at the end of the day did Jerry Jones decide that we're taking somebody else other than Quentin Jammer? Yes. But I mean Jerry Jones is not out there with the with the stopwatch and everything like that right. and 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 I mean you have to rely on the people in that room, the people who are on the road, just like Ted Thompson relied on you to tell him I'm sure that you could tell me stories over the years of Ted looking at you and basically saying,
2: all right, Brian, what do you think of X? Yeah. And that's, I think that's the, uh, that's the thing that all of our, you know, guys, I think coming up in this system, realize that it's, you you can have a lot of opinions and and you can push for things, but you know, when you get turned to and you say, okay, we're going with this, this is your call. You, you know, you better have been prepared to say yes or no, you know, and that's the thing I think, the one thing that all scouts understand is you better do the work so you can have the opinion. You can't have the opinion without the work because it, doesn't, it never works that way. So, you know, there's no secret to this. It's just a lot of long hours, a lot of grinding and, to get to those things, and it's not easy, um, but it's not as complicated as some people want to make it think. It's just you, you have to do the work to get to that decision point. It's the MMQB Podcast.
0: In need of great talent for your business but short on time? You don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools. Smarter tools. ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then, ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. They even review every application to identify the top candidates, so you'll never miss a great match. And that's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash MMQB. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash MMQB. Folks, it is too easy and too free. ZipRecruiter.com slash MMQB. Now, more with Brian Gutekunst. What would you say when you're on the road and you're scouting and you're out at a school? Other than obvious talent, I want to know what you look for, what are must-haves <clears throat> in a football player when you're scouting. Yeah.
2: You know, we talk a lot of here about wiring and how a player is wired. You know, how much passion and love for the game do they have? um will they sacrifice for the team um you know do they have enough uh we call we call it football character are they willing to put in the time and work and and uh, be a good teammate so those are a lot of the things because the NFL is hard it's it's not easy and uh, if you don't love this game if you're not if you don't have a you know significant degree of toughness uh it's going to be you know it's going to be hard to make it so those are the things you know, you, you touched on it earlier where you know you know, a general manager can't be at every single school. He can't go and talk to every single coach. You got to rely on your guys for that. You know, and, and that's that's one of the main you know re- you know reasons why you come to come to the decisions you come to, is uh, when you feel good about the person, not only the player. If you
0: look at the Packers roster right now, tell me a player, and maybe tell me the story of of a guy who you're sort of proud of. Uh, that maybe you went on the ledge for, or that you said, you know, I, I really like this guy, and then he came to the Packers and he did pretty well. Is there a guy who stands yeah. out in your mind?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's probably a bunch. I think you know, um, you know, there was, uh, obviously Sam, Sam Shields always comes to mind because Sam was a wide receiver turned corners last year at Miami. Uh, he had a bunch of physical gifts. Um, you know, he was an undrafted free agent. And, uh, you know, the one thing going down to Miami, if you spend enough time there, you, kn- you knew he was a very competitive kid. And uh, he kind of had, you know, um, because of the position switch, I think he was you know, undervalued. And uh, so I think that that's one of them that, that, uh, that stands out. Vonta Leach was another one earlier in my career. Uh, he was a running back that carried the ball quite a bit at East Carolina and ended up being a very good fullback in the league. Um, but his toughness and his wiring and passion for the game is what carried him. He was, you know, so those are some of the things that uh, you know, some of the guys that just come to mind. Um, there's guys on our roster right now. I think, uh, you know, there's guys like Lucas Patrick and uh, Justin McCray that uh, we went through this year that uh, are kind of unheralded guys, but their toughness and grit, um, you know, in spots this this year were, were impressive to see them step up to challenges.
0: With uh, Brian Gutekunst, the new general manager of the Green Bay Packers, a couple more, Brian. Um, I I wonder when I look at um, when I look at Ted Thompson, and I have great admiration for Ted Thompson. There's probably not many souls in this world who, in 2005, are going to say, "Yeah, I'll take Aaron Rodgers." Um, right. You know, you have no idea if Brett Favre, even though Brett Favre went through this dance every year. Am I retiring? Am I not? You know, he very well could have stayed for five more years, but anyway, right. I, I, I'm curious. The biggest knock on Ted Thompson over the years has been that he really wanted to live and die by the draft. He was not a big free agency guy, and I wonder uh, how do you feel about free agency and how do you feel about the art of building an NFL roster?
2: So sure, yeah, I think I think. You know, the, the organization has to look at every avenue of player acquisition, and free agency is certain, certainly one of those. It's a little bit more risky and dangerous than the draft, but I think uh, the biggest thing to me is always, you know, we talk about it here about being prepared. I mean, you're not going to be able to sign every player, and we understand that. And, and if you do, it always has, you know, ramifications down the line. So you've got to be smart, but at the same time, I think um, – you got to be prepared to pull the trigger when the right opportunity comes, and I think our guys are pretty, pretty energized right now um, to get through that process of getting prepared. And uh, if the right opportunities come, we're gonna, we're gonna be ready to pull the trigger because you know, the most important thing to me is that the entire roster is competitive at every group. Uh, I think there needs to be a little bit of uh, edge and uneasiness about how, hey, I don't want to look over my shoulder and, and, you know, lose my job to someone. So the more competitive the roster can be, I think, the better. And I think uh, every avenue uh, that we can do that, uh, we'll use.
0: Brian Gutekunst, new general manager the uh, Green Bay Packers, really, really appreciate you joining me on the podcast and uh, wish you an awful lot of luck in Green Bay.
2: Thank you so much, Peter. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks to my guests, Troy Aikman and Brian Gutekunst. If you enjoyed these conversations, Be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in my MMQB series, such as my conversations with Larry Fitzgerald, Roger Goodell, and Chris Mortensen. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the MMQB podcast with Peter King, on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Honey, State Farm, and Zip Recruiter. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week.